Haha! And I'm sure that you were wondering why I didn't play Velcro Fly during the Wastelands episode. No, it's because I was saving it here for the bonus episode and I just wanted to have the Wastelands episode completely full of train music. So, here we go everyone. Velcro Fly by ZZ Top. Seriously though, with those drums, I, I am so glad that Stephen King chose this song to have Lud revolve around. I mean, it's such a strange and weird... Uh, just, just another example of what makes The Wastelands and the rest of the Dark Tower series just so fun to read. I couldn't even imagine going towards this futuristic, crumbling, ruined city and hearing the sounds of ZZ Top bring about war and destruction and death all the time. Anyway, everyone, welcome back to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication, and if you are listening to this particular episode, please note that this episode is a bonus episode that's being released on the same day as my review of The Dark Tower Book 3, The Wastelands. The reason this is a bonus episode and I'm putting a disclaimer out there is because I'm going to go heavy into spoilers placing the wastelands into context of the larger dark tower universe so if you have not read the rest of the dark tower series and you don't want anything spoiled please turn away now and come back after you have finished the dark tower i want you to stay <clears throat> i want you to listen but i also don't want to ruin the dark tower experience for you because that's something that should be enjoyed and like i said it just experienced by yourselves because it is an experience and it's one that I want to debrief with you later only after you have finished it. So um, what I'm going to do here, I'm just going to talk about some aspects of the of the, uh, of the the Wastelands um, and, and what it means to the, the rest of the Dark Tower. So the first I'm going to talk about Blaine and the Wastelands. So this is very similar to what we saw in the Talisman in regards, so here we had Blaine the Mono and the Wastelands, and in the Talisman we had the Train and the Blasted Lands. Now in the Talisman bonus episode, I explored the similarities between the Talisman and the Dark Tower novels, specifically the plot point in which Jack Sawyer had to travel by train through an irradiated wasteland filled with mutated inhabitants. I argued that despite the similarities, it isn't the same irradiated wasteland, and it's an example of an image that must have stuck with King. But within the world of the Dark Tower, it speaks of bleeding realities. In the Wolves of the Kala, we'll later see robot wolves dressed as Doctor Doom, wielding lightsabers not because anyone set out to create them, but reality rewrote whatever the wolves originally were, so that they were always this way. And this really was a result of the, the beams breaking and the worlds that we knew as Star Wars and Marvel Comics and the Magnificent Seven all began to run together. The same can be applied here. Whereas I argued before, the adventures of Roland the Gunslinger have seismic repercussions that reverberate throughout the multiverse. So when he and his quartet board Blaine through the wastelands, it has such cosmic importance that its echo is heard throughout the universes, the story recreating itself over and over again, for instance in the pages of the talisman. Similarly, when Jake discovers the rose, he hears voices telling stories of Cuthbert, Roland, and Martin. He sees Allie's face. Of all of the universe and all the different stories, it's Roland's story that comes out of the Rose because his is the most important story in all of existence. So, the second thing I want to talk about, I guess I want to beat a dead horse. Do you want to join in? 
In nearly every Dark Tower-related story, I've discussed Randall Flagg and the ultimate reveal that he is, in fact, not just the man we know as RF, but also Flagg and Eyes of the Dragon, Walter and the Man in Black from The Gunslinger, Martin Broadcloak from Roland's Past. I've discussed my problems with the reveal over and over again and can be found in the following episodes if you want to go back and listen to them. The Gunslinger two-part review, more specifically the second part. The Eyes of the Dragon bonus episode, the Stand bonus episode, the Drawing of the Three bonus episode. So it's a time-honored Stephen King cast tradition to dredge this up again. In the introduction, King states to the reader that Walter was a greater magician than Martin. Again, this information is not derived from an unreliable narrator within a character within the text, but from the author himself who, now that I think about it, could actually be an unreliable narrator within the text. God damn it! Every time I think that I come to consensus about how I feel about this character, he goes and slides through my fingers again. Okay, I've discussed this at length. And again, just like now, I had a breakthrough during my bonus episode of Eyes of the Dragon. You could make the argument that because the world that you and I live in is a part of this story, then the breaking of the beams and the unreliability is of the very fundamental aspects of physics and the natural known laws are grow are going away and just falling apart, then, then yeah, okay, you know what? I guess that stands to reason that the author of these novels is writing a broken, fragmented, contradictory reality. <sighs> okay. Um, so I, another thing that I had mentioned before and before and before um, were, were Flag's plans or Walter's plans or the Ageless Stranger, Merlin, whatever you want to call him, right? The, the plans of this character. You know, I, at, originally I argued that his plans didn't make sense. So, for instance, I point out that Flag, you know, strolls in into the pages of the Wastelands here and he proclaims very grandly, you know, he says something along the lines of, Roland must not reach the tower, you know, but when given the opportunity to do something about it in the pages of the Gunslinger, he didn't. I was wrong. I was completely wrong to say that because after reading this, after really thinking hard about this character, it does make sense. But, but it wasn't, I'm just going to take the opportunity to kill Roland. What it was, was a long con that stretched over three novels. The first step was enforcing Roland to sacrifice the boy in the pages of the Gunslinger. The second step was providing Roland the opportunity to kill Mort before Mort could kill the boy, which led to step three, Roland being driven insane from a time travel paradox. It was Walter's plan to disguise his poison within hope, hope of reaching the tower, hope of forming a new quartet, but Walter intended it to be false hope all along which makes his plans that much more sinister. It's only when the Kotet are able to draw Jake to them, dispelling the paradox that Walter re-enters the story because his original plan failed to work. So why go through the pains of such a long con? I the only thing I can think of is probably because Roland is so cosmically charged. He's a living, breathing myth that Walter can't really do anything to him directly. I guess he can only manipulate the world around him. And as for the drawing of the three, we know that the Crimson King can um, see many of the key players in the life of Roland, as evidenced in Insomnia, so it stands to reason that if Eddie and Susanna are pulled into this world and their only source of safety is driven insane before he can finish their gunslinging, then they will die within this strange world, in this strange world and, 
if they die, then they're no longer a threat to the Crimson King. So, all right. Okay, I, I guess from this point forward, I'm probably never going to talk about the contradictions of the Randall Flagg, Walter, Martin, Broadcloak, Age of Stranger, Merlin character because it only took 20 years and six rereads for me to figure this one out. But hey, I did it. The third thing I want to talk about is the Beams and their Guardians. This is the novel where the mythology of the Dark Tower grows by leaps and bounds. Until now, we've only heard of the tower and how the tower is the linchpin of the multiverse. With the wastelands, we get a better sense of the tangibility of what that means, and we don't realize that it isn't some metaphysical tower. It's an actual tower out there somewhere, and shooting out from its top are 12 invisible beams of power that serve as the struts that hold up every world that has ever existed and will ever exist in any universe. It's a mind trip, huh? And what about the Guardians? Well, we met the bear, not the guardian himself, at least I don't think so, but a man-made recreation of him. But this isn't the first guardian that we've met in the Stephen King extended universe. No, no. Raiders of It will remember that one of the guardians played a significant role in helping out our main characters, and that was the turtle. If you haven't read It, I strongly recommend that you read it and then listen to my 3.5 episode review of it. And spoilers if you haven't, but the ending goes to a much bigger and cosmic level than the TV miniseries does. Our astral, our characters astral project into another universe in which they interact with the gargantuan turtle who floats through space and later they see the corpse of the turtle. Naturally, this makes sense within the context of the Dark Tower series as the beams are falling and if the beams are falling, then they fall because the guardian has died or dies because the beam has fallen or both. And the corpse of the turtle shows us that when Bill and Richie float past it, they're floating past it after the point where the beam had fallen. Number four, I want to talk about false redemption. Immediately, King presents Roland as a teacher to his apprentice gunslingers, the din of his new quartet. He settles into this role comfortably, realizing that he's good at teaching. While he realizes that a new quartet will help to bear the brunt of his burden, deep down I believe he never truly gives up the belief that finding the tower is his quest. And despite the fact that he has companions, his quest alone. This truth is what ultimately damns him. Again and again his quartet fall prey to his obsession, leaving him all alone to reach the tower and start over again in the hopes he'll learn his lesson a second or third or hundred thousandth time around. The fact that the Cotet is fully formed by the conclusion of this book, save for Father Callahan, is false hope and false redemption. His gunslingers follow him, but he never allows them to stand beside him. Not when it comes to the tower. That is his and his alone. Because of this, he rejects Kef. He rejects the Cotet. He rejects Stephen King's undying, sorry, um, underlying philosophy that only as a community can you overcome the obstacles before you. It's no wonder that he's damned. The best thing for Roland would have been to die before reaching the tower and to drift off in peace, knowing that his family would continue his mission for him. It's my hope that in the Sony cinematic adaptations, um, if they ever come out, that Roland dies before reaching the Dark Tower. Maybe within a thunderclap, uh, taking the bullet that was meant for Eddie. It'd be a shock to the book readers, but it would suggest that Roland, after all these years, after all these centuries, would finally know peace, that his cycle of death, despair, and obsession has finally broken. 
And it'd be a ballsy move that would reveal that the movies are picking up where the books left off. And honestly, I'd fully support a movie that kills its main hero off in one of the opening sequences of the final installment. Roland's fate within the books is teased on page 47 with the, the, the man in black who tells Roland, your luck will be bad from now until the end of eternity. That is your ka. Furthermore, when Eddie dreams of the tower, he dreams, and I had talked about this a little bit earlier, he dreams of a terrible darkness existing within it. In my Wasteland review, I said that it could be the Crimson King, but I don't think that it is. Roland is the one who is synonymous with the tower. The only character in these novels who travels to its top. Later, the Cotet bring Jake into this world in a move that suggests redemption, but even King here hints at the uh, dark future. So I had read this scene. This is when Jake comes back into Midworld. And it's a beautiful moment between Roland and Jake where they hug each other and Roland says, I'll never leave you again. This is what I read before. Roland said, and now all of his tears came. I swear to you on the names of all my fathers, I'll never leave you again. But what I didn't include uh, in, the, in the excerpt that I read was this part here that speaks to this false redemption. Yet in his heart, that silent, watchful, lifelong prisoner of Ka received the words of this promise not just with wonder, but with doubt. So keeping with the false redemption, I want to talk about Ka is a wheel. You know, this is a novel that explores symmetry. The novel opens and closes with our Ka-tet facing off against an insane robot. Jake's return is a reverse of his last appearance. Rather than falling from Midworld into our world, he's being pulled up from our world into Midworld. As a boy, Roland marked his claim to become a gunslinger with the final separation of a cherished animal, David the Hawk. Here, Jake enters his training with the addition of a cherished animal, Oi. In previous Dark Tower bonus episodes, I explored how King consciously or unconsciously sowed the seeds for the ultimate reveal that Roland is forced to live his life over and over and over again. I explained how this makes sense that he and Jake took to each other so quickly, and this idea is reinforced here when Jake yearns to return to the desert. Of course he does. On some level, he knows that this is where his quartet exists. Another example can be found on page 80 when Eddie is whittling the key that'll unlock the door to let Jake through and King writes, But now something else rose in his mind. It all came at once. Not a dream. Not a vision. Not either of those. It's a memory. It's happening again. You are remembering forward in time. The end of the series of Roland once more set to discover the tower is addressed at least thematically by Eddie on page 296. He tells Roland, Then stop behaving like we're a bunch of sheep and you're the shepherd walking along behind us waving a crook to make sure we don't trot our stupid selves off the road into a quicksand bog. Open your mind to us. If we're going to die in the city or on that train, I want to die knowing I was more than just a marker on your game board. I don't recall, but in Roland's heart of hearts, does he ever truly stop treating their desire to reach the tower as less than his? I can't remember, and I look forward to exploring that in the later uh, later episodes as I get to Wizard and Glass and Wolves of the Call of Song of Susanna and the Dark Tower. Next up, I want to talk about micro and macro contradictions. 
So many aspects of Roland are contradictory. He's haunted because of his deep capacity for love, but continually allows the death of those with whom he shares that love. He needs to save every life in the entire multiverse by reaching the tower, but is willing to take any life that stands in his way in the name of the tower. This contradiction manifests itself with the doubling of the image of the giant tower with that of the fragile rose. The tower stands in an endless field of roses, yet is housed within a rose shooting out of a crack in the pavement of a city street in a world that is in of itself housed within the very field in which stands the tower. It's a contradiction as well as a loop, suggesting no beginning and no end, a physical recreation of Ka itself. Now I want to talk about fictitious reality. In The Wolves of the Kala, it is revealed that Stephen King himself is a central figure in the same mythology he's writing and we're reading. The adventures and tragedies of Roland and his Ka-Tet are not just stories in a book, but recreations of actual events that are playing out in a galaxy far, far away. Though I don't believe this was the intended course for the characters this far back, you can find justifications that support the ultimate reveal if you look close enough. For instance, Eddie has a dream in which he's back in New York holding You Can't Go Home Again by Thomas Wolfe, whose introductory line is the famous The Man in Black Fled Across the Desert and the Gunslinger Followed. Right? As you all know, the introductory line to You Can't Go Home Again is not The Man in Black Fled Across the Desert and the Gunslinger Followed. That is a line from a fictitious book in our world, but the events of the book within this book. So it's that blending of the fictitious reality. Furthermore, the bear's given name is Shardik, the same name of a book by Richard Adams, again suggesting the merging of realities. Later in the series, we revisit Calvin Tower and Aaron Deepno, who shares the same last name as Ed Deepno, the wife-beater from Insomnia. And at one point, Roland will hold in his hand a copy of Insomnia, and realizes that the novel is a clue for Roland to point him in the direction of Deepno and the Tower. And I really remember hating this at the time, as I had loved Insomnia functioning within the world of the Dark Tower, only for it to be revealed as a book within a book. It doesn't mean that the events of the story can't be played out on a different world that is then translated by Stephen King, but the characters, with one notable exception, and the events aren't revisited in the, in the larger Dark Tower universe again. Furthermore, when Flag arrived to recruit the TikTok man, he starts rattling off chapter titles. Bear and Bone, Key and Rose, as if he knows their chapter titles in a book by Stephen King. And like I said in the last episode, I was going to talk more about the mansion at Dutch Hill uh, and in the relationship with the mansion and the house on Nybold Street from It. In the novel It, the losers ventured to the house on Nybold Street to find the clown. While they were there, reality shifted around them and it was suggested that the house itself was infused and possessed by the same evil as it. In short, the two houses are nearly identical, if not in structure, then in their function within their respective stories. They're both thinnies of a sort, gateways to other worlds than these. It's no surprise that in the novel that contains the turtle, that there will also be another connected bridge that links it to the larger Stephen King universe. Number nine, uh, I've, spoken to, I've spoken about Jake at length, but this reread reminded me about a particular wish that I had during my first read of the series when I waited in anticipation of the conclusion of this series. If you've listened to the podcast before, I've discussed what I call an Avenger-style ending to the Dark Tower, meaning that a part of me kept on hoping against hope that Roland and the crew would encounter the all-stars of King's previous works. 
The person at the top of that list was someone who I've already talked about in this podcast and someone whose journey touches upon the fates of our heroes. God damn it, it was even teased that this character would play a larger part in the Dark Tower series, a tease that made my hopes for an all-stars jam band even more entrenched in my mind. Basically, at the end of the day, I kept hoping for Jake Chambers to become best friends with Jack Sawyer. Seriously, there is a huge missed opportunity for a series of adventures of these two characters who could very easily function as a supernatural fantasy-based Tom and Huck. Rather than floating down the Mississippi, they're hopping throughout the, the multiverse. Maybe both boys run away from their responsibilities. Jake from Roland, Jack from Speedy. They bond on the road with Oi and Wolf. Not the Wolf, but Wolf's brother. You know, by their side, fighting werewolves, a vengeful TikTok man, and riding the train between the dimensions. What if Morgan of Oris or Sunlight Gardener, you know, doesn't die and teams up with TikTok? Or what if Sunlight recruits Jake's real-world father for nefarious schemes? What if Jake's father was tied to Morgan's nefarious plans and knew about the territories? What if Jake was called the territories because on some level he knew he was destined to help Jack? Look, there are so many possibilities, and I love the stories that we were given, but come on! How cool would that have been? Also, in case you were wondering, I also envisioned Alan Pingboard joining the crew, or at least helping them as they crossed over into Castle Rock. I pictured the spider showing up and at least one loser. I pictured Charlie McGee and her and maybe her child locked away with the other breakers along with Danny Torrance. In fact, what if the two of them fell in love while enslaved uh, in the bidding of the Crimson King? What if Ted Brodigan served as their father figure? Lord knows they were both in need of one of those after the events of their respective novels. And what if their friend was a damaged Carrie White from an alternate reality? Or if Ted Brodigan spent his nights in deep conversation with a psychic named Johnny Smith? Yeah, I know that we got Father Callahan, we got Shimi, we got Ted, that's awesome. And ultimately, we had touchstones to it with Stuttering Bill and Dandelo, which is great, but the teenage me will always want that obvious team-up. Um, okay, here we go. I... Look, I will get to this more because my memory is not that clear on this. And I, I've, I've reread The Wastelands like I was at least, at least four times at this point. Maybe this is the fourth, maybe this is the fifth. I said earlier, you know, that I've reread some of the Dark Tower books at least six times. So maybe it's six, I don't know. I've only read Wolves of the Column maybe twice. Song of Susanna only once and the dark tower only once actually maybe, maybe i read song of susanna twice maybe i reread wolves of the kala and song of susanna before the dark tower was released but i haven't read the the dark tower again my point is with the last three novels that came out in the dark tower series my recollection is a lot fuzzier than the earlier dark tower entries and i need to talk about the susanna pregnancy and the problem is i don't really recall i, I do recall what happens i just don't know logistics here's what happens when she's in the speaking ring with uh, the demon and she needs to have sex with the demon to keep the demon away from Eddie, she becomes pregnant. Now, that was teased. The, the pregnancy is, is, is definitely insinuated within the pages of the Wastelands. And what it is is a loaded bomb, okay? Is the pregnancy, is, is the baby Eddie's, or is the baby the demon's? If it's the demon's, what the hell does that mean for our quartet? What does that mean for Susanna? Is Susanna going to die? Is Susanna in danger? What's going to happen to our quartet? It's a great conflict. It's a great loaded gun. And I'm all about conspiracies, and I'm all about this this blending of science, and fan science fiction and fantasy. 
I love that aspect of the Dark Tower. I think King goes a little bit too far within the final three novels. And I'm speaking only on my recollections. This all could change. And in fact, you know, based on uh, already what I've done with Randall Flagg, I might wind up convincing myself that it's awesome. I don't know. But basically what happens is the Crimson King winds up taking the sperm from Roland that was used during the events of the Gunslinger when the Gunslinger was having sex with a demon within a speaking ring. And the evil organization uses that sperm and works with the demon from the pages of the Wastelands to impregnate Susanna, meaning that the demon knew... So the demon was doing this under the bidding of the Crimson King. And so Susanna gets impregnated with Roland's sperm. So that results with Mordred, the, the whiny spider baby. That's the son of Roland, but also the son of the Crimson King and Eddie, maybe, at the same time. I'm kind of confused at that. But, I mean, that's a little much. You know what I mean? That That's... I, I, I mean, I... I that, that's a little much, everyone. I mean, there are, there's horrific imagery in the opening pages of uh, the Dark Tower. Maybe the maybe it's the opening pages of the Dark Tower. Maybe it's the conclusion of Song of Susanna with Susanna just being surrounded by the Cantoy. It's terrifying. She's pregnant. Uh, but this, I I just remember thinking like, what? I don't need to revisit the 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 the, the demon from the Gunslinger. I don't want that demon from the Gunslinger hanging out with the demon from the Wastelands. It's like, what, do they just go hang out in, in a like slum demon bar and, and just kind of swap tails and it turns out that you know they both know the same guy and they want to team up and get revenge? It's just it's too much. It's too much. Like I said, maybe I'll change my mind, but I remember just kind of having a, a bone to pick with that particular plot point. Next up, I want to talk about Thinnies. Uh, in the next book, Wizard and Glass, King's going to name what he has played with as far back as Salem's Lot, and that's the concept of the Thinny, a place where space between worlds is so thin it makes for easy transference between those worlds. And the Dutch Hill House is definitely a Thinny. Oh, guys. Here we go. I, I mean, I, I kind of referenced it a little bit in the podcast episode itself, but this one here, I, I can't read any scene with Oi without wanting to just start bawling hysterically. It it just makes, knowing what happens to this character makes the whole reread such a cruel experience. It is so hard-pressed not to fall in love with Oi. I mean, upon first reread. And then you get to love this character even more and even more. You see the relationship between Oi and Jake. And like Oi, you, I mean, I'm sure that Oi conjures for you what Oi conjures for me, you know, just childhood memories of animals that I've had. So, God damn it, when Oi dies in the wasteland, in, in, in the Dark Tower, it is cruel and it is hard. I mean, and even the events leading up to it with Jake dying first and then Oi having to follow Roland and he's heartbroken. It's just, it's awful. It's awful. I mean, every single scene he's in from this point forward just feels like I'm reading the ending to where the red fern grows. You know, I just want to start crying every time I see him come onto the, the, the page. It's, it's hard. It's, it's going to make the next couple books very, very hard for me to read. Um, and then we have the whole story. 
at one point Eddie asks Roland to tell his story, the whole story. And Roland says he'll tell it when the time is right and tell it only once. The closest we get to it is in Wizarding Glass, which provides the best look yet at the land of Gilead and the culture of the world before it had moved on fully. We learn the fate of Susan, referred to in previous entries, but more importantly, we get to know Cuthbert more, and we get to know Elaine, Roland's best friends. What we don't learn of is the fall of Gilead itself, the death of Court, Roland's father, the arrival of Walter, the revenge on Rhea, the battle of Jericho Hill, how Roland caught wind of the man in black, and how he knew the man in black would lead him to the tower. It's not up to King to tell us backstory because it doesn't affect the current plot of the characters, so this isn't a criticism. It's like when people complain about uh, Lindelof and Q's for not revealing the answer to every mystery on Lost. First of all, most of them are answered, by the way by the end of the show, and the ones that aren't don't have anything to do with our character's journey. And it's the same thing here. So I can't really criticize it, but I'll admit, I really wanted to see what happened at, at the Battle of Jericho Hill. I wanted to see the events leading up to it and how Roland left the massacre and went after the Man in Black. It doesn't change anything. But I'd still like to see it, that's for sure. Okay, guys, uh, that's all that I have for now. Uh, so... The next time we revisit Midworld, we will be heading back into Roland's past. We will pick up where we left off on that train, and Eddie will face that evil, insane computer, and we will not only revisit our characters, not only will we revisit Roland's past, we will also revisit the world of Captain Trips and the Walking Dude as they crash land in the post-apocalypse America that we recognize from the stand. So... Mysteries will be answered and more mysteries will be presented. And in the meantime, I am going to begin uh, Stephen King's next phase of his career, like I had stated in the, the end of the Wasteland review, where Stephen King begins an examination of the female perspective by really focusing in on female protagonists, beginning with uh, Gerald's game, then we'll have Dolores Claiborne, and then I can't think of what's next after that. But there's a series of novels. We have Gerald's Game, we have Dolores Claiborne, we have Rose Matter, we have Insomnia, even though the, the main character isn't, isn't a woman. But there's certain aspects. You can see themes and ideas kind of being passed along from book to book like a baton. So that, that's where we'll go for the next uh, couple weeks. And I look forward to being able to revisit the uh, Wizarding Glass again. And everyone... If you have any questions at any point, feel free to, to write into Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. In the meantime, I'll see you all here next week. Same King time, same King channel, Stephen Kingcast. Yeah.